Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the All Saints podcast. Today, what I want to talk about has to do with hospitality and with eating meals together specifically. Uh, this was prompted in part by some uh, helpful interactions that took place briefly on the men's group chat here at All Saints, which uh, there were some great uh, comments made there, and I just wanted to bounce off those and, and make a couple of suggestions of my own, which I think might be helpful more broadly, as well as to talk about the uh, matters of theological and personal principle that underlie these issues. So let's just uh, jump into those matters of principle first, and then I'll respond just to one or two of the specific issues that I think, uh, well, they were raised on that group chat, and they might be helpful in other contexts as well. So first, um, eating food together is one of the principal ways in which culture is formed. And therefore, Christians eating food together is one of the principal ways in which Christian culture is formed. And just to think ahead and anticipate where we're going, Christians eating food together and inviting people who aren't Christians is one of the principal ways in which a distinctively Christian way of life is, is opened up to people who don't know Christ. Uh, just think about why this would be so. I mean, the, the Bible is so full of uh, eating and drinking as manifestations of fellowship and hospitality. Uh, it's hard to know where to begin. I mean, just a couple of obvious thoughts. Uh, obviously, eating in, is significant right from the opening pages of Scripture. The first sin was a sin in connection with eating the wrong thing, and therefore it was a relinquishment of the blessing of eating the right things, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Um, it was the, that, that probationary test in the Garden of Eden was a test related to what Adam and Eve were to eat. Um, obviously, the other place where you might look in the first instance, just to reflect on the significance of eating for Christians, is the Lord's Supper. Right at the heart of our worship is a ritual of eating and drinking. We eat the bread and drink the wine. Uh, the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why would this be? I mean, and this this is a very, very uh, large question, which has to do with uh, who we are as created beings and uh, how religious ritual uh, constitutes us as creatures. But just, just to try and uh, give you a brief sketch of it, when we eat, we are expressing our dependence on something other than us. You know, that if you don't drink for three or four days and if you don't eat for, I don't know, a week and a half or something, you're probably going to be, if not seriously ill, then close to death. And so eating and drinking are themselves expressions of human dependence on the created order. They're therefore expressions of dependence on the living God. It's a ritualized way of enjoying the experience of being provided for by God. This is why, of course, it has such a significant place in our worship, because we express, among other things, as we eat and drink at the Lord's table, we express and experience the reality of being provided for by God in Christ. God in Christ is giving us what we need to stay alive. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you won't have life within you. 
there's a great more that could be said about like, the history of religious rituals in other religions, which of course are in one way or another distortions of the paradigmatic created reality of the one true God, their idolatrous, manipulative twistings of the truth. Uh, all lies are twistings of the truth and all sin is a distortion of a good thing and so that's why you see rituals of eating and drinking in other religions as well Um, even the presence of those features in non-christian religions testifies to their centrality that's the kind of point that um, calvin makes at least implicitly in uh, the opening chapters of his institutes of the christian religion okay so you start to see that uh, eating and drinking together in a christian context is a very significant way of expressing who we are and of course there's a stylized character to the lord's supper it's not like a particularly big meal uh, and it's it's framed with um uh, the words of response and so on and it's part of a worship service but just as our worship is itself a microcosmic picture of the whole of our lives so also and this is a crucial point to grasp so also the lord's supper is a microcosmic picture of our meals when we eat and drink just normal meals we're doing something which is patterned on the reality of our being provided for by god at the lord's table now that doesn't mean that uh, you know breakfast with your family or inviting next door neighbors around or some friends from church over has a Uh, specifically cultic religious quality to it. It does mean, though, that it's uh, related to the the realities that are embodied in the Lord's Supper in the sense that what what we're doing is we're forming out in the world the culture that flows from the sanctuary where we eat and drink uh, bread and wine at the Lord's Supper. Now, so why is that all significant? Well, I think it'll be obvious to you, but Uh, The answer is, put simply, when you have a meal, you're doing something that forms you in very deep and significant ways. And it will also form those with whom you eat and drink. So you're meeting with fellow Christians or you're eating and drinking with your family or you're hanging out with other Christian friends who are from... uh, Christian traditions where they themselves have uh, drifted somewhat from uh, a really deep and committed relationship with Christ. Or maybe you're inviting people around who aren't believers. What are you doing? You're inviting them to share in the cultural fruits of Christian worship. That's what I mean by saying it's a principal means by which Christian culture is formed. Christian worship is at the center. All of life flows out from how we worship God. And Christian worship, therefore, paradigmatically impacts and shapes the meals that we enjoy with each other. So, I realize there's a great deal more that could be said about that, but just just move on to some practical um, uh, implications. Uh, One of the questions that arose, or at least was prompted in my mind, by the discussion on the men's group chat was the quite common phenomenon of uh, a Christian family uh, inviting or having over uh, friends or perhaps particularly relatives who aren't Christians uh, or who are, let's, 
let's not be um, uh, rude and certainly not provocative about it, but, but baby Christians, uh, they're culturally Christian, but so to speak, they don't really want to let it affect the way they live their lives. And, and for them, some of the characteristic features of our meals might make them feel uncomfortable. It may be that you have uh, friends and perhaps especially family members who would never dream of thanking God for their food before they ate it. And so you're in this situation where... <coughs> Pardon me. If you went into their home, <coughs> excuse me. If you went into their home, you know there'd be no prayers before you ate. But they're coming into your home. You don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. What do you do? Well, let me tell you uh, what I think is the best thing to do here. Uh, absolutely, if you're going into somebody else's home, you're going into their home. You're experiencing their culture, their way of life, their shape of living, and therefore, I don't think you should feel. Uh, at all expectant that they would conform to your Christian values, so to speak. Now, they might do. I've got non-Christian relatives who ask me to lead us in prayer whenever I go round to uh, their house for meals, and I'm pretty sure they don't do that when I'm not there. Uh, there's a bunch of other things going on there. But it's certainly the case that when we have relatives and friends over who aren't Christians, we would pray. And thank God for our food because, remember what we're doing, this is our home, this is our culture into which we're inviting people. Now, I do want to do that in a way which is not insulting or manipulative or artificial. And so the way I would generally do it, and this is what I want to encourage you to uh, consider if this isn't something you've done before. Uh, imagine yourself with, uh, let's say, a friend or a neighbor who's uh, not a Christian or you, you know is not a Christian. And you, what I'd encourage you to say is something like this. Um, hey, just before we eat, um, it's our practice just to pray and thank our God for our food. Do you mind if we just do that? If, no need for you to join in if you'd rather not. Won't take a moment. And then just pray and say amen and then go ahead and eat. Um, it's a way of acknowledging, and I think actually a helpful way of acknowledging that we worship the God of heaven and earth, and we're going to continue to do that. But we're also helpfully highlighting the fact that not everybody else does. And we're not trying to pretend that everyone else does. We're not certainly not trying to pretend that you, our friends, don't. And we don't want insultingly or manip manipulatively to kind of place you in a position where you're conducting an act of Christian worship. We just ask, though, that you bear with us while we do our thing. Now, what that does is fascinating. And those of you who've got non-Christian family members, parents or extended family members, may have experienced this. You have that strange and awkward sensation of having brought right to the forefront the faith that we profess in Christ and done so in a way that makes it unavoidable, makes it part of the atmosphere and the social interaction that you're going to be engaging in during the meal and the rest of your time together. Now, sometimes what happens is that uh, that isn't raised again. But sometimes what happens is it shapes us and it shapes the conversation and it does so in profoundly helpful ways. It might be slightly uncomfortable, actually. And I think those of us who have family members who aren't Christians would probably uh, testify that, or I, I know I'd say this, that some of the hardest people to witness to are members of our own family. And there's something about the closeness that we have with them in other contexts, uh, which... Um, 
it, it sometimes almost feels like a crunch in the gears, doesn't it, to call to centre stage our commitment to Christ. But I want to encourage you to do that. And I think these family meals and uh, uh, times of hospitality are exactly the right time to do that. Just one final thought, and this is just another practical thought in, uh, in terms of uh, not just uh, how best to uh, structure and plan meals with non-Christian friends and family, but also with um, friends who you know, may profess faith in Christ, but um, uh, be baby Christians, or or you're aware that their their commitment to Christ is somewhat diffuse and uh, and not really reflected in how they live. Perhaps they only go to church very occasionally, and you know aspects of their lives which reflect uh, that minimal commitment to Christ. What do you do then? Well, I think all that I've said already may help in those situations. But there's another uh, suggestion, and this is a great point made by one of the men on the group chat. Invite other Christians over as well. If you're there with a couple of friends who go once every two months to their church down the road and you you wonder what's going on in their minds sometimes. You, you know that in, if you ask them whether they're Christians, they'd say, yes, but, mm, yes, but. Uh, have them over and have another family from church over or another family who you know share your steadfast commitment to Christ. And it provides a, a more deeply textured way of uh, seeing the interactions between Christians in the room, you and your committed Christian friends, of allowing those interactions to shape the dynamic of the conversation. In other words, all of the interactions are more likely to be suffused with Christian culture. To put it more simply, if the Christians are, it's almost as simple as saying, if the Christians are in the majority, then the the shape and the flavor of the social interactions will be more predominantly Christian. And it's not just the numerical majority, is it? It's the social majority. If you're there with your Christian friends, able to shape the tone and tenor, the culture of the interaction, then that's something which is likely to testify more uh, vigorously and clearly to your friends who either don't know Christ or, or are babes in Christ, so to speak. So hopefully that's helpful. Um, as always, don't hesitate to give me a shout if you've got any questions, any comments about this. Uh, but for now, I think that'll do us. The Lord bless you, and bye for now.